0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia.
1: Romans 8, verses 38, 39, John chapter 3 and verse 16. It says this, and I am convinced, the Apostle Paul says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Convinced, Nothing can separate us from God's love. And then he starts listing some of the likely candidates. If anything could separate us, it might be these things. Death, life, angels, even angels with six wings and a bunch of eyes. Death, life, angels, demons, fears for today, worries about tomorrow. And then he draws this conclusion. None of that, not even the powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. And then, because he's a good preacher, he ain't finished. He starts saying, but no power in the sky above, no power in the earth below, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Right? Amen. Verse th- ber- verse 16 of chapter 3, the book of John. For God so loved the world, or the New Living Translation says, Uh, in in John 3.16 I don't know it in in the New Living Translation it says God loves, okay don't worry about the New Living Translation in the King James it says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, there it is in the New Living, for this is how God loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you today for your goodness. We thank you for the promise of your love, for the, the, uh, the experience and the presence of your love. And God, we just pray that today you would help us as we break the bread of life together, that we would be filled, that we would be filled enough to give us strength to go out and to make disciples because that's what you've called us to do. Help us to be a disciple so we can go make a disciple. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series that uh, is called The Reborn Identity. The Reborn Identity. We're looking into the Word of God to find out who God says we are. There are lots of forces, lots of voices that try to define us, but we're trying to find out who God says we are. How how can we define ourselves? How can we understand ourselves? How can we know what our rights are, what our responsibilities are? And, And we've talked about the fact that Jesus says we must be born again, we must be reborn. And we've talked about what it truly means to be saved. We talked about that in the last several weeks. That salvation is the foundation of our identity, and that once we uh, have come to Christ, then everything in our lives is and, and should be defined by that one relationship, by that salvation relationship. Now, I'm going to get right to the declaration today because throughout this series we've been we've been doing these declarations, these "I am" statements that help us to know who we are, what our reborn identity is. And today our declaration is this: I am loved. I am loved. You can look at the person beside you and you can say, I am loved. You can look at the person beside you and say, You are loved. There is no other principle of the Bible that's more obvious, no other confession that's more foundational. Everything that we are, everything that we ever will be, every blessing that we have or ever will get, our salvation, even our very existence, is predicated on that one core truth that I am loved. If God didn't love us, we wouldn't have any of that other stuff. As a matter of fact, if God didn't love us, we wouldn't be here. Right? So the reality is, not just for believers, but for everybody, uh, whether they surrender themselves to Christ or not, everybody, every human being is loved. Everybody's loved. But when you've received that love, When you've surrendered yourself to that love, when you uh, surrender yourself to the relationship that's offered by that love, then it unlocks some other declarations, some other reborn declarations that I want us to talk about today. So the more identity-defining truths that you can speak over yourselves that hopefully will help you on life's journey. And these are important to understand. Because sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes you face situations in your life that leave you um, wondering or questioning whether you are loved. There are some situations you face in your life that make you feel less than loved. And if we allow ourselves uh, to be overwhelmed by the feeling of the difficult moment, then we'll lose the reality of spiritual truth. And it's it's a dangerous place to live when you've allowed your feeling to overwhelm your truth. And so today we need to find out what the truth is so that we can make sure we we keep those feelings pushed back into their proper place. So we're going to get into it today. Because I am loved, here are some of the declarations today. Because I am loved, I am disciplined by Christ. Because I am loved, I am disciplined by Christ. Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, Robbie, there's a a ring or something in here that um, uh, is driving me insane. It's not a long drive. matter of fact, it's usually just a step or two, but if you can pull that down, that'd be great. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, and have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up When he corrects you for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Now, what did your parents say before they spanked you or before they grounded you or before they did whatever it was they were doing to you as a result of one of your bad decisions? What was it they always said? I'm doing this because I love you. Didn't they say that? Did anybody ever believe that? Did y'all ever believe that? And that's usually followed by an equally unbelievable statement. They say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. No kid believes that. They think that's the biggest lie they have ever heard in their lives until you become a parent yourself, right? Or until you've matured enough to understand how the relationship works and you recognize that indeed that's the case. Discipline in our lives as believers can be understood in a bunch of different ways. So like, what does God's discipline look like in our lives? Well, sometimes it's just reaping the consequences of our bad decisions. Y'all ain't never made a bad decision, have you? Once or twice? Sometimes the discipline of God is just the natural consequences of whatever we decided to do without Him. Sometimes it looks like having to humbly repair the relationships that we damaged with a careless word. Or a careless decision. Sometimes it looks like us having to change something in our lives that's been revealed to us to be sinful or to or to be um, uh, painful for other people. Some sort of flaw in our character gets revealed. That's the discipline of God. Sometimes it's being placed in an uncomfortable circumstance. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you looked to God and said, I don't like it here? I, this is uncomfortable, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too hard. And whatever it is, we, sometimes we get this Goldilocks complex as believers and think everything's supposed to be just right. But the discipline of God and the love of God is that sometimes He puts us in those places intentionally to shape us, to discipline us, to grow us up. And that's not that He hates us, it's because He loves us. Now, it struck me as amusing the way the writer of Hebrews set this whole conversation up. He said, have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke? And you're like, yay, encouraging words. What are those words? God disciplines those he loves. That doesn't sound encouraging. Doesn't sound fun at all. But if you keep reading, you'll understand three ways that, uh, that it is an encouragement to know that That God disciplines us. Let me read these scriptures. These are the next ones in Hebrews. Uh, As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? Now, some of us have heard of that child. Some of us have had that child in class or at Walmart, right? Um, It was hypothetical. Uh, If God doesn't, please pay attention to this. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means you are illegitimate and are not really his child at all. We'll come back to that. Verse 9, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. If that's not a perfect description of fatherhood, I don't know what is. You just do the best you know how to do for a few years and then you just hope for the best. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. There's an amen place if I've ever seen one. It's painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living, of holiness for those who are trained in this way. Three things real quick that that help us to understand that God's discipline of us is His love for us. First thing is that His discipline proves His love for us. His discipline proves His love. Discipline is hard work, and it's no fun to administer or to watch. It, It really is as tough on the parent as it is on the child the fact that God goes to the trouble to put us in situations that will mature us and grow us up is evidence of His love. If He didn't love us, He wouldn't fool with us, right? So when, when, I, when I watch my kids doing something that, uh, that something's wrong or they have a wrong attitude, it's my love for them that causes me to intervene. Because believe me, as you get older, your priorities change. As you continue to have children, your priorities change. When Valerie and I first started having kids, we were young and our goal was we were looking for perfection. Now that we're still parenting and we are no longer young, we just want peace. We just want some peace. Um, And short-term peace is easy if you don't bother to discipline the problem is the little boogerhead grows up, right? He grows up. That strategy comes back to haunt you and, and to haunt them later in life because a bratty, undisciplined child becomes a bratty, undisciplined adult that has that can't keep a job and, and can't you know is not successful in life. So because you love them, you discipline the little boogerhead. Amen. There you go. Uh, n- no kids said amen. I noticed, but. The parents said, amen. So it it proves, his discipline proves that he loves us. Here's the second thing. It proves that we're his. It proves that we're his if he disciplines us. Parents discipline their own kids. They don't go, they don't have the authority to discipline somebody else's kids. And if you don't believe me, then just go to Walmart and watch other people's kids and just watch good parents twitch at all of the ridiculous stuff that you see sometimes. The fact that God is disciplining you should encourage you because it proves that you belong to Him. Now, let me flip it and say it this way. Maybe it'll make more sense this way. I have heard people who claim to be believers, claim to be followers of Jesus, and they say things to the effect of, Well, I, I said my prayer. I can live any way I want to live. I do what I want to do. I don't, my conscience does not bother me. I do whatever. Well, I do what I want, right? That's the new thing to say I, I do what I want. Listen to me, my friend. You're in dangerous territory because you're deceived. You have deceived yourself. Verse 8 that I pointed out to you in that passage clearly says, if God never disciplines you, you aren't His. If you do what you do and and you don't have a twinge of guilt, you don't have any conviction of the Holy Spirit, you don't have any conscience that's bothering you and trying to point out that you're wrong, if none of that ever happens no matter what you do, you're not saved. There is no version of biblical salvation where you just get to do what you want to do. That's not a form of salvation in the Bible. That's called a doctrine of demons. The discipline of God is not fun, but it proves to you, it's encouraging because it proves that you belong to Him. And here's the third thing. Discipline produces sanctification. It says that several times, that it produces this harvest of holiness. The the most encouraging part maybe of God's discipline is that when you comply with it, when you conform to it, you, when you, you, you take the discipline and you learn from it, your life changes for the better. Your life changes for the better. When you, you remember when you were disciplined as a child and you finally figured it out and quit doing the stuff that got you in trouble? You're like, I like this life. This is a beautiful thing, right? When you learn the lesson your life gets better. You remember uh, in the first few messages of this series, we talked about the passage in Philippians that said God works in us both to will and to do the things that please Him. Well, part of the way He accomplishes that, He changes our mind about things, changes our attitudes, changes our desires. Part of the way He does that is through discipline. Isn't that why we discipline our kids? Because we're trying to teach them not only to do better, but to want better to have higher standards for themselves. Discipline produces sanctification uh, that we need as followers of Jesus. So when you say, I am loved, don't think that means my my Father loves me so much he lets me do anything that I want to do. That's not it at all. The old saying is true. When you come to Jesus, he loves you just as you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. So, saying I am loved means I am disciplined by Christ. Here's the second thing it means because I am loved, I am defended by Christ. I am defended by Christ. Now, let me give you the setup for the scripture that we're about to read in Romans. Paul was talking about salvation. He was talking about the fact that we have been chosen, that we've been uh, justified, we've been glorified, all of the stuff that's involved and wrapped up in salvation. And then he reflects on that and he does that in Romans especially. He stops and he asks these questions that are just designed to get your mind thinking about what he's talked about. And so he stops in that conversation and he asks this question, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Salvation that's brought to us because Jesus loves us. Okay, So it comes from the love of God. He says, what do we say about it? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? So since God didn't spare His own Son, but gave Him up for all of us, won't He also give us everything else? And who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? Nobody, because God Himself has given us right standing with Himself. Or who will condemn us? Nobody, because Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and he's sitting now, look at what he's doing now, at the right hand of the Father, pleading for us. Verse 31 says that no one could possibly defeat us because God is on our side because he loves us. He's on our side. Not in the sense that too many American uh, churches believe that God is a member of our team, and he's helping us accomplish our dreams and goals and visions so that we can be happy and healthy and wealthy. That, that's not in the Bible. What this means when it says God is for us, it means that God is our advocate, that he defends us. He stands with us, stands beside us, stands in for us. Verse 34 shows us this picture that Jesus is our defense attorney. He, he, helps, he pleads our case for us. Uh, on behalf of the, uh, in front of the father. So no matter what the charges are against us, we beat, we beat the charges every time. Why? Well, think about what it would be like to have Jesus as a defense attorney. He's a formidable and intimidating advocate. He, he knows everything about everything. He, he doesn't just think he does. He actually does. If the accuser were going to pull some trick, he'd know about it before it happened. He'd know every person's testimony. He'd know what they were going to say. He'd know whether they were telling the truth or not. It'd be pretty entertaining to watch in the courtroom to have an omniscient and omnipotent defense attorney. But so when the enemy comes to accuse us or to condemn us or to point out our flaws, Jesus stands in our defense. Because I am loved, I am defended by Christ. Now here's the problem. The problem is we actually are sinners. (laughs) We actually are guilty a lot of times. So in heaven's courtroom, the accuser can actually just tell the truth for a change and he'd be right. We'd still be guilty. Now in a normal courtroom, that would be a problem, especially with a pure and honest judge like God the Father. Uh, But this passage shows that Jesus has a legal maneuver that's not legal anywhere else but in the courtroom of heaven. So when we are accused, Jesus rises and he says, Your Honor, I'm switching defendants. I'm switching defendants. No longer is he the accused, now I'm the accused. Whatever he's guilty of, I'm taking the the punishment for it. I'm forgiving him of it, I'm taking the blame for it. Whatever he's sentenced to, I'll fulfill that sentence. I'm taking his place. Put me on trial instead because even the accuser knows I'm not guilty of anything. So I'm offering my innocence in exchange as a substitute for his guilt. I'm offering the death penalty that I've already fulfilled in exchange for anything that he might be sentenced to because of his crimes. And the passage says, since God didn't spare the life of his own son, would he he not give us everything else. So when Jesus stands to make that motion, the heavenly father gets a big smile on his face, grabs the gavel and says, motion granted, charges are dropped because Jesus is always innocent. Case dismissed. Jesus is our defender because he loves us. Let me show it to you in another place. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you won't sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate, an attorney, who pleads our case before the Father. Like, hmm, I wonder who would do that for us. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, the sins of the whole world. See, that was not just a once and done kind of thing. It wasn't just done at salvation Every time we sin, when we humble ourselves before him, when we repent of our sins, Jesus goes back to the Father on our behalf and pleads our case. He is still defending us, still pushing back the accuser, still standing up on our behalf. So when you say, I am loved, you can say, I am defended by Christ. So say, well, John, that's great. That's cool. That's you know, theological. That's all exciting How does that help me on a daily basis? Well, not only does He defend us when we've sinned, but He prays for us to be strong in the face of temptation and trials. Because not everything that we go through, I said a minute ago that sometimes it's the discipline of the Lord to just let us experience the results of our own decisions, but not everything we experience in our lives is a result of something we did wrong. Did y'all hear that? Not every bad thing that happens in your life is a result of your sin. Okay? So when we are tested, when we are tempted and tried by the enemy, Jesus represents us before the throne. He defends us there as well. He asks God to set the limits on what the enemy can do in our lives. Praying to the Father that that He will strengthen us and that our faith will stay strong. I want to show it to you in Luke chapter 22. Verse 31, he looks at Simon Peter and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, so that your faith would would not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. If Jesus prayed for his followers while he was still on the earth, you can can be sure that He is still interceding for us and praying for us and defending us before the throne while He is seated at the right hand of the Father. No matter what you're going through, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, He is with you. He is defending you. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave us Jesus. Jesus. So I can say, I have Jesus on my side. And if Jesus is for me, then who can be against me? Because I am loved, I can say I am defended by Christ Jesus. It's part of the identity of a reborn believer. And here's the last thing. Because I am loved, I am victorious in Christ. I am victorious in Christ by His love. Let me show it to you. Same, same uh Book Romans 8, the next verse says this, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean, please pay attention to this question because this is a question that gets asked um, thousands of times a day. Does it mean God no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Did you hear the question? Does God still love me if I'm having a hard time? Here's the the next verse. As the Scriptures say, this is parenthetical here. He'll answer the question in a minute. As the Scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Here's the answer to the question. Does it mean that God doesn't love you if you're having trouble? The answer is no. Despite all those things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Notice that the passage begins and ends with the love of Christ. This is associated with the love of Christ. I am victorious through Christ. Now, this one passage of Scripture that we read, and many others, but this passage is such an affront to the American prosperity gospel that gets preached. The, that belief system that teaches that God's love and favor is only expressed to us in carnal ways or primarily in carnal ways, that, we're, that our health and our wealth and our success, our popularity, the ease of our lives are all indication that God loves us. And that the opposite of those, according to this teaching, it, it would point to our disobedience and our lack of faith, or perhaps we didn't give them enough money. Right? Right? So, But did you hear what the Word said? Did you hear what the Word said? He said, when you have trouble, when you have calamity, calamity is heartbreaking disaster in your life. When you are persecuted, that means that you're being punished for your faith in Jesus. He said, when you are hungry and destitute, that means you are flat broke with no means of changing your financial situation, even enough to get you some food on the table. When you're in danger, it says, and being threatened by death. Did you you get a mental picture of what life must be like for that person? Listen, I know that I harp on this a lot, but but I, I need you to know the Bible was not written by Americans or even specifically for Americans. This book is universally true in every tribe, in every tongue, in every nation, in every era of time. So if what we preach doesn't work in the jungles of Africa, in the rainforests of South America, in the freezing cold of Greenland and Iceland, then we ain't preaching the gospel, okay? If it doesn't work in 1800s or or in 30 BC or AD, it, it works everywhere at all times. Okay? So, do you realize that? So, we got to take off the American filter, is what I'm trying to help you see. We have to take off the filter of the Western world. Do you realize that in most of the countries of the world, the things that I just described is the everyday life of a believer? Many of them are dirt poor, many of them truly suffer because of their faith. In Jesus, Cut off from their family. Cut off from their friends. Sometimes cut off from society. Sometimes fired from their jobs because they chose to follow Jesus. Many millions of believers are under the constant danger and threat of death because they follow Christ. And they know that if they continue to do so and they get caught, they will be punished severely. And they still do it every day. They still tell people about Jesus. And millions of people are still coming to faith in Jesus despite the overwhelming danger. So here's the question. Does the difficult life that these people lead all over the world mean that God hates them and their life is a waste? (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So let me bounce back to right here and right now. When things don't go well for us as believers, it gets really easy for us to fall into condemnation and to fall into doubt, doesn't it? So we get this, well, God must hate me. God must not love me the way he said he did because this bad thing happened or these bad things happened or these good things didn't happen for me, but they happened for them. And I know the life they live and they don't deserve it. Right? Right? why does that happen in us? Even if we don't completely buy into this concept of the prosperity gospel, we're still very much influenced by this false gospel that paints God as some cosmic Santa Claus who gives us everything we want. Let me tell you something today. Real life is hard whether you follow Jesus or not. It's hard, and and one of the biggest deceptions of the enemy, and I've seen it over and over again, and it's really one of the primary heart attacks that we talked about last fall. It's one of the primary ways for for the enemy to attack our inner man is to, in the midst of the worst moments of our lives, to try to tell us that God has abandoned us and doesn't love us, because if he's a loving God, why would he let these bad things happen to good people like us, right? Right? Let me tell you something today, the truth of the Word of God, Jesus loves you, period. It doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. He can't not love you. He loves you endlessly. He loves you immeasurably. Just because you go through difficulty, Paul said it clearly. Just because you go through difficulty does not mean that He doesn't love you or even that He's punishing you. It certainly doesn't mean He's abandoning you. He loves you. He loves you as much when you're going through the valley as He does when you're standing on the mountain. It is the deceiver, it is the enemy who tells you that He has forgotten you and left you for dead. The truth says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He can't. Because you don't forsake and abandon the ones you love. Now, not only does he say that he loves us despite all those things, so no matter what our lives as believers look like, the love of God is a constant. But he, say, he takes it a step further, and he says, not only do I love you through your trouble, but despite those things, you are overwhelmingly victorious. What? <laughs> I don't feel real victorious right now, God in the face of all those things. the King James says he's made you more than conquerors. More than conquerors. What does that even mean? It means you didn't just squeak by with a W. You didn't just win by the skin of your teeth. You dominated and you took the spoils. You won and you won big. How does that work? How are we overwhelmingly victorious when it feels like life just keeps pounding us? Same chapter, just a few verses before, explains all that. In verse 28 of Romans 8, it says we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Because despite all these things that we go through, they will always add up to victory for us and they are powerless to diminish the promises of God for us. You say, well, What if if life never gets easier for me, John? What if it never gets easier? Don't forget, this is not the only life that we will ever have. There is an eternal life that God is far more concerned about. He sees things in that context. And if we get too locked on, on this uh, on this life in the here and now, we're going to miss the eternal truth in which God exists and we're going to miss the eternal truth in which His promises come to pass in our lives. I want to read you this. I love this. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Paul said, we're pressed on every side by our troubles, but we're not crushed. We feel the weight. It's not pleasant, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. Y'all ever been perplexed? you so you are so overwhelmed by trouble you don't even know what to do you're just paralyzed're like i don't i have no clue we're perplexed but we're not driven to despair we're hunted da- hunted down we're hunted down but we never get abandoned by god we get knocked down but we're not destroyed man that's the life of a believer You're like, hang on, where's the Bentley? I'm supposed to drive a Bentley. Where's the the million dollar? Hunted down, (laughs) beat up. We feel the pressure. We're knocked down, but we're not destroyed because there's another reality in which we live our lives as believers. Look at verse 16. This is why we never give up. Our bodies are dying, but our spirits are being renewed day by day. For our present troubles are small, and won't last very long. Paul, the, the life he just described is what he lived for decades. Shipwrecked. Hit with, with rocks. Hit with whips. People chasing him, trying to kill him. And all kinds of craziness. He said, Oh, these these present troubles are just really kind of small. Really not that big a deal. Not gonna last very long. 60, 70, 80 years, not a big deal. Like this dude's crazy. He is crazy unless you recognize what else he's, he's seeing. He said, but these troubles that we have right now are producing for us a glory that vastly outweighs the trouble and will last forever. See, 70, 80 years is nothing. It's, it's a drop in the bucket when you understand what, reality, what, what eternity really is. He said, we don't, we don't look at the troubles we can see now Instead, we fix our gaze on the things that we can't see, for the things that we see now will be gone. But the things that we can't see, those are the things that last forever. No matter what life throws at you, the the one thing you can always count on is the love of God. You, you can stand in the mirror every morning no matter what happened overnight, no matter what happened the day before, no matter what you think is coming in that day, and you can look at the person in the mirror and you can say, as a follower of Jesus, you can say, I am loved by God. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. He's using my trials and my troubles and my present circumstance to make me more like Him. It might be hard now, but it's gonna work out for my good. The skies might be dark now, but joy will come in the morning. Right? And no matter what the scoreboard looks like, we win, we win. Because I am loved, I can say, I am victorious through Christ. Listen, life gets tough. And it's easy to start doubting the love of God. Don't fall for the lie. You are loved. You are loved. Don't listen to anything else. You are loved. Even if it's His discipline, even if we're being accused of sin, whether we're guilty or not, even if it seems like everything in our lives is falling apart, you are loved. You're loved enough to be disciplined. You're loved enough to be defended by Him you're loved enough to have the victory no matter what the circumstance. God loves you. What a powerful, life-altering truth that is. Let's stand today. It does not take a, a prophetic mantle to look at you and say some of you are going through a difficult time. That's just math, right? You get this many people in a room. Some people having a great time. Some people not having such a good time. But this week in preparation for this message, I really sensed that that I needed to encourage you with this word. You're loved. He hasn't forgotten you. Some of you were not even able to make it into the sanctuary today because of what's going on in your life. You are loved no matter what's going on. Don't forget it. Be encouraged by it. Have that as your foundation in your life. Because almost everything else is sinking sand. Money seems to come and go. seems to go faster than it comes. right? Relationships come and go. People come and go through our lives. Our health seems to fade. Sometimes there are things in our lives that we have no control over. We don't have any control over the love of God either. It just is. No matter what you say or do, whether you want it or not, He loves you, period. It is a foundational truth that cannot change. So I want you to be encouraged today. You win. He loves you. I'm going to pray. And the altar is open. It's always open. If you'd like to come and pray, you can come uh, as I start. After that, we're going to be dismissed. You can pray at your seat. You can pray on your way home. You can pray anytime, anywhere. But I want us to take just a moment at least to pause and to hear what the Lord might be saying to us today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you.